Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Always in Pursuit podcast. My name is Aaron, and I just want to welcome you all here. Uh, we have an exciting conversation today, and uh, we're going to just jump right into it. Joining us, as always, is Megan. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> and Pastor Mark. Megan, you have to change your name to have some sort of cool little uh, nickname like me no, and Aaron have. Aaron Boomtown Lynch. <laughs> that's right. And mine, which if you don't know how to do my, mine's M-A. That's my rapper name. Are we going to like tell the stories behind the nicknames? No, but see the E-M-A-Y-E. Is, I know. It's ridiculous. Y- you say it. Was that phonetically? I don't know anything about phonetic. Yeah. <laughs> so, listen, I, it's just the fun way to. Do I was it. told there would be no English. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Mark, just to keep us on track, uh, last week's message. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little recap? Yes. Okay. So, um, Peter and John come out of uh, being held by the Sanhedrin or the, I guess, the council. They like. They don't give you exactly who's on the council, but you assume it's the same people that, you know, stuck mm-hmm. it to Jesus, basically. I mean, they do mention a few of them, and they are the same people. But it's funny that they're all loving working together. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it'd be like if there was a villain, yeah. uh, a heel in, you know, our culture who brought somehow Republicans and Democrats together. Like, how in the world could we do that? That's essentially what we're talking about. Like, the church <laughs> was bringing, like, yeah. these these religiously this religious factions into one room so that they could figure out how to deal with the church all together. When we talk about factions and councils, I just think of like uh, survivor or like the voice or something like that. Like so, yeah, that they, the, the they, modern, they use their immunity, uh, whatever poll or whatever. I don't know anything about yeah. those shows, but so they, and of course councils don't work well. Right. So they get together and they just argue about what to do. And they finally just go, well, stop don't talk about jesus anymore and they're like no we're we're gonna do it like you i mean if you let us go we're just gonna keep doing it yeah and they finally just go no and then they let him go mm-hmm. and the first thing they do is they go back to their community they tell the story everybody gets pumped mm-hmm. it's a testimony right god's goodness testimonies mm-hmm. are amazing and everybody gets super excited and encouraged and they pray and the prayer is really the main piece of what we talked about and then it kind of went into another little tag at the end, which I didn't really spend tons of time going through, um, which will actually feed into next week really significantly as we talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Spoiler alert. That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> so if this is the first time you're joining us, uh, the purpose of these podcasts are to supplement all of our sermons throughout this series, Here for Good, that we do on the weekends, um, just because... A lot of these conversations are big, and there's a lot of different rabbit holes. And so oftentimes, like, you're not able to get to all of the things you want to get to in the sermon. You have a lot of notes. Or there's just some things that are better unpacked in a group discussion like this. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're doing this. We also want to get questions from you all. If you are listening out there, whether it's live while we're streaming or later, you can always email those, text it to a staff person. We would love to get questions. And uh, Or in the chat if you're here right now. In the chat right now, yeah. We would love to be able to do some of those. So the overall idea was just that you can borrow boldness Mm -hmm. because they they pray not to get back at the council not to impede what they're doing Mm -hmm. not to like to uh somehow avoid any more persecution they pray for boldness to preach in the face of it all Mm -hmm. which i think is a really interesting concept because you know i I talked about a little bit in sermon like my prayer would have been 
boils for them and a clear <laughs> clear takeoff you know for us as a church yeah. like you have to also run the numbers like this is starting to get really threatening because there's like 3,000 that are added to their number on day one and then there's like 2,000 and by the way these are counts of men mm-hmm. so I mean what is that 20,000 if you add in women and children full families like it's it's getting to be like a a movement yeah like a significant mm-hmm. amount of people that is threatening Mm-hmm. to the people who are in charge. They're also going, oh, 20,000 people that won't be giving to the temple. They'll be giving to their own community. Oh, there's 20,000 people now who we don't have influence over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's 20,000 people to start a riot. Yeah. So they're getting really intensely like nervous about it. I think there's a lot of nervousness, anxiety, fear on the council's part and right. the religious leaders just because, I mean, really what was behind uh, the arrest of Jesus and then his eventual you know, persecution and death was... They didn't want to upset the Romans. They didn't want to create um, political unrest and social unrest in a way mm-hmm. that would cause the Romans to come in and kill everybody, <laughs> you yep. know, like tear it all down. There was this really delicate balance of Roman occupation, but they were also allowing the Israelites, the Jews, to kind of do their own thing. And as long as they stayed in line and they didn't make too much noise, you know, everything was great. But Jesus, in their eyes, was an agitator and you know, had a loud voice and was starting a movement on his own. And so post that, you know, whatever on the timeline we are now, weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection, um, they don't want, you know, 2.0 of that to happen again. Right. You know, Gamaliel, who's a famous rabbi, Mm -hmm. uh, he actually says as much in the speech he gives in Acts chapter 6 before they let him go the third time. Yeah. Third time. Yeah, whatever second or third time I'm, it's like hard to even keep track but they just keep it depends on what you think like they put him in jail then they escape from jail and start preaching then they pick him up again and they release him a third time so he says as much he goes look there was a movement a, a couple of years ago there was mm-hmm. this guy Judas we, we got behind you know people got behind him he was a, a messiah that led to some serious persecution from Rome mm-hmm. and here's the thing guys if it, God is in this we can't stop it Mm-hmm. And if he's not in this, then it'll go away like Judas went away. Like, it'll mm-hmm. get crushed, mm-hmm. and that'll be the end of it. So, they're like, there are some people in that council who are, like, open to the idea that maybe God is doing something different, and that if they come against it, they'll be the ones on the in the chapters of history that were the ones that tried to squash the, the real thing. Yeah. Um. And he persuades the entire council just to flog them and release them. Mm-hmm. All right, it's actually later on where Saul shows up, where they just start really persecuting everybody. Yeah, and Saul eventually becomes the perfect example of what you're talking about. Someone who, you know, through miraculous encounter with Jesus, realizes like I'm on the wrong side of this, right. and I need to switch. And so you know, he becomes the greatest force for the church. Yeah, and so Jesus. The main point is there's unbelievable boldness. What they pray for is not like self-serving at all. Mm-hmm. And my point was, you know, you have to have a personal faith. I spent a lot of time talking about that in the sermon. You got to have a personal faith. Like you can't live vicariously through someone else for your faith. You just yeah. can't do it. Like you have to have your own personal faith. There's a lot of, uh, religious systems out there, even Christian religious systems, if I can call them that, that'll go, yeah, you're saved through your family mm-hmm. or it's good enough for you to just be here at mm-hmm. church. And, we don't. We're not from that stream. We would say if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, it don't matter who in your family is saved or not saved. Like you're on your own. This is your decision to make and it's your your call. Uh, but 
there are things you can borrow from your community. Like, I do think there are things that, like, boldness is one of those. Faith, sometimes, you know, when you have people pray for you or whatever, like, um, you know, like, I think your community can come around you and provide you extra support when it comes to places that you might struggle. So that was kind of one of the main ideas was that you can borrow these things from other people in your community. Yeah. So, yeah. Major point there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There are times that this has come into play for me. I'm, I would not say I'm the most bold person naturally. You're growing. (laughs) I'm getting there. You're growing. Um, But I remember a mission trip that Mark and I led in Mexico where we were putting on this youth event and we partnered up our kids with some Mexican nationals and we sent them out in pairs of three. And there was like one of our kids, one of their kids and uh, an interpreter. And we sent them out to hand out flyers and invite people to this, to this event. By the way, we were being good leaders. We were making sure all our students got into great groups that made sense. We're like pairing people up, sending them out. Focused on all them. And then at the end, it's just Mark and I left. And I was like, all right, well, now we have an hour of just like downtime before the kids come back. And Mark was like, no, let's go. We've got a stack of invites. Let's go. And I was like, Mark, I don't have enough Spanish for this. Like, We didn't have an interpreter. We didn't have an interpreter. There was nobody left from the church. They had run out of their people. And you had the best Spanish on the team, but it wasn't great. It was like, you could understand. It's like conversational Spanish. Yeah. But when somebody, I like had the words to invite someone to this. Yeah. But when they turn around and like ask questions, um, I wasn't confident that I could accurately answer those questions. <laughs> sure. Um, and I'm an introvert who doesn't like talking to strangers. But Mark is excited. He's an extrovert. He's strange. Like he loves strangers and he just wanted to go. And so one of the missionaries we worked with like walked us to a neighborhood and was like, here, just go down this street. Here's the invite. It's degree Watts. You know the words, just like, do your best. And the entire time we're walking there, I was just hating it. And I was like, this is awful. This is going to be terrible. We're going to say something wrong. We're going to offend somebody. And Mark is just like a little kid heading to a carnival. Like, he's so excited. Oh it was kind of a, a down-and-out neighborhood, too. I don't, you know. Yeah, it was not. <laughs> it was, it was not the suburbs, no, for sure. And I was just kind of like, "Let's go!" <laughs> so we're walking down, and Mark would go up and use his three sentences that he had memorized to invite somebody, hand him the invite, and then they'd turn around and like ask a question. Pardon, inv- invitation para ti, uh, los concierto de jóvenes, uh, uh, <laughs> iglesias de Cristos. Uh, and then I'd handle the thing. Like, it was essentially me. Yeah, yeah. Those are all the words. They're not in the correct order. But people got the gist of what he was saying. Minambre, Mark. <laughs> and then they'd turn around and ask a question. And Mark would just immediately look at me and be like, oh, okay, what, what'd they ask? Right. And they'd be asking, like, where the church was, how to get there. And I have no idea how to answer them. <laughs> and we're just like pointing in a direction. Like, like it's over there. Uh, go for it. So that's that way. Was it'll, it, was it'll it like great. you're like, see, see? Um, <laughs> no, I didn't fake it as well. I was yeah. like, well, here's the questions I know how to answer. <laughs> um, but I had to borrow boldness from Mark in that so that we could actually get that done. Um, it was funny because they would answer 
and then I was I was I was done. I was yeah. everything I had. <laughs> You're like those are my three. And sentences. Megan could understand like sixty to seventy percent of what they were saying. So she would start to like understand what they were asking or, or saying, yep. and then she would tell me, and I would act out the rest. Like I would she act would out like, the answer. Yep, charades, and <laughs> maybe throw like one word in there. I'd be like, "Coche, uh, a key, uh, esta, uh, that direction." You know, like, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It was like kind of a fun moment. I actually love it when I get to be on mission trips and push the leaders a little bit. Yeah, because I think they think like. Oh, this is for the kids, and I'm here to serve them, and uh-huh. you know, then we can kind of sit back and yeah. I'm like, oh no, no, no. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that hour of downtime <laughs> before the kids came back. That is definitely the camp that I would be in with you, Megan. <laughs> not going to. I would hate you. Mark on a mission trip. You'd be like, all right, let's go do this extra thing that we don't need to do, and I'd be like, Dude, we needed to we do it. Just got rid of the kids. Give me a half hour. This was like, a beautiful yeah. cultural exchange, by the way. And sure. if you've never been to Mexico, the interior of Mexico, like real Mexico, mm-hmm. you should totally go. Yes, uh, because the people there are. They like invite you in and they try to give fantastic. you like do, very relational. Do not compliment anything in their home because they'll try to send you home with it. Yep. Like they're, you know, you didn't know them five minutes ago and now you're sitting in their kitchen enjoying, yeah. you know, like some yeah. sort of thing you've never had before. There's all these weird <laughs> drinks <laughs> and yeah, like and sweets and. But yeah, compliment like an artwork or something on the wall. They try to give it to you. Come down. It's yep. it's yours. Yeah. Like you like that? Oh, here you go. Take it home. <laughs> so, so then, like the funny thing would be like, oh, pantalones, is muy bueno. <laughs> like <laughs> they'd go in the next room, yeah, change their pants, <laughs> and they'd give you the pants. But yeah, it was it was a great experience. Looking back on it now, I can smile and laugh. In the moment, I maybe wasn't laughing quite as much. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but I wouldn't verbalize my dislike to Mark because I'm sure too much of yeah. a nine. Yeah, I saw. I remember like on Sunday listening to the sermon, and in my head I had this like mental image of going up to someone with like my hands cupped and be like, "Can I borrow some of your boldness?" You know, and then they would like s- somehow like, <laughs> Just like metaphysically put it in my hands so I could take it. It's not like that. It's like if you're someone who you know that story is a perfect example of like you're you're more borrowing is a good word, but like. It could be um, piggybacking off of off of Mark's boldness. Yeah, you know, like you're in proximity to it, and so therefore you're yeah. sharing in that as well. It, it's like energy that's just kind of like contagious yeah. to those around you. Yeah, I think another biblical example of that could be uh, Moses and Aaron. Like Moses, when you read the story, at times comes off as like this kind of anxious weakling who's afraid to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, and. That's why God paired him with his brother, who was not. Aaron yeah. was able to speak boldly and speak God's words. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like it, he was borrowing mm-hmm. Aaron's boldness. Yeah. So, my namesake. But. And hopefully Aaron was borrowing some wisdom along the way. Well, until they got out of Egypt, then that was a little bit of a... Yeah, and I think there's like... Um, it's It's interesting how much the contagiousness of like um, a movement makes things easier yeah so yeah it happens with boldness but like i was even thinking about when we did the um the fair you know mm-hmm. in, in september and i got i gotta shout out my boy mitch um if you guys know mitch at, at church this dude's just like the biggest servant i've ever met in my life right and um jill as we were working on like giving out jobs 
Mm-hmm. She was like, I need, she's like, I don't know who to ask. She's like, I just need somebody to go around. I know what I'm asking. I know no one wants to do this job, but I just need somebody to go around and empty all the garbages like throughout the entire day. And then like they need to find ways to make themselves like, mm-hmm. and our boy Mitch, the entire day mm-hmm. went around and emptied out garbages. Mm-hmm. And this guy like just put what it means to be a servant on display. And you think about jobs like that. Nobody would want to do something like that yeah. unless there's like something significant happening where you feel like you're a part of a movement, mm-hmm. right? Like even the lowest job on the totem pole becomes important. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're struggling with having faith or having boldness or having whatever, it's like the movement of the contagiousness of the community like starts to give everyone something that yeah. allows them to kind yeah. of like rise out of their, you know, their where they have faults or where they're weak, yeah. you know, and to become strong in some of these areas that aren't strengths for them. Well, I think this is a beautiful picture of how God created us as humans. He doesn't call any one leader to be perfect at everything. He says here, get together as a team. You maybe don't have as much boldness. This person does. You guys can pair up. And, and I mean, it's not just for boldness. It's for all of leadership qualities or, or whatever. Like it's the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. We all play different parts. There's just like this sense of relief, I guess, about not having to be good at everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't have to focus on being good at something that is not a strength for me. I just have to find somebody else on the team who's good at that and lean into them for that. It's good leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We keep saying leadership. It's almost like we have a leadership training coming up this Saturday, November 13th from Mm. 9am to 1. Leadership is the watchword. Are we working in um, like paid sponsorships (laughs) as we go here? Like, like, you might have a deficiency in your leadership and need a place to (laughs) grow. And, you know, like we want to welcome you or invite you to Saturday. Members mark purified water, the taste <laughs> of the next generation. Mm. Tastes mm. like something. All right. That's good water. So, uh, you know, what I thought was interesting, too, was that, you know, we talked we talked to, we talked to this, and then I, I finished that with this idea of the shaking power of God, because mm-hmm. it just struck, it just st- stuck out to me that there's like this other, like, time where, okay, something is so intensely happening here that... Um, like the room is shaking. This is like akin to what happened in the upper room. This mm-hmm. is like goes back to the cross, the ground just splitting, and then you know where it goes back to the the tomb rolling away. Which pretty sure I got to give credit to Tim Keller on that somewhere along the line. I stole that idea, um, but you know this idea that like uh, these guys are in persecution. They're not fighting the persecution. In fact, they're crazy enough that in chapter six, it says that they were flogged and they like were so pumped about it. They're like, mm-hmm. we are sharing in the you know, persecution of Jesus by going through this. Like they mm-hmm. looked at it like we're doing everything right and the church is growing and this is going perfectly because we just got destroyed by, you know, the council and they got a smile on their face the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine how weird that was for the council to flog them? And they're like, you know, this is the same like group of people that, you know, a couple chapters later are in jail all night and they're just worshiping mm-hmm. and the doors open up and they just like, now nah, we're just going to stay here and keep worshiping. Yeah. And all the prisoners are still there and the prisoners are listening to them. Like what in the world? This is the same, mm-hmm. you know, movement that gives Paul access to being a prisoner in, 
Rome and he's sharing the gospel with his mm-hmm. like prison guards. Mm-hmm. Like so we need to step back for a second here and instead of inventing this is, this is where it gets a little bit personal here. Oh. Hi. <laughs> um instead of inventing persecution yeah in our own lives yeah where we like we want for some reason we think we're the ones being persecuted in this culture because of the stupid crap that sorry should be a little bit less uh but because of the stupid stuff that we kind of create to be afraid of or we create to make ourselves feel like we're this persecuted class of people like let's get off of that train and let's realize that real persecution is bodily harm real persecution is you lose choice in mm-hmm. following christ yep not in stupid things but in following jesus you lose yeah. religious freedom you lose uh choice in you know in kind of living your own life your own way i'm not talking about when you choose something and there's a consequence that goes with it that you don't like there were consequences that went with what they were doing that they didn't like mm-hmm. but they they were happy to bear those consequences because those choices were important enough to them to bear those consequences. So, you know, and if, if they're, if you make a decision to follow Jesus and you have a, a, a choice that you make that is like from your conscience, from the Holy spirit inside of you guiding you to make that decision, then whatever the price is that you pay is what you pay. Mm-hmm. Like they were so focused and on mission that those little things didn't matter. Yeah. They right. weren't distracted by the little things. And they get huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. s- you know, they're about to have their first martyr. Yeah. Right? That's going to happen. They're about to be pushed out of the city, and the Gospels are going to go travel all over the place. Yep. It won't, won't be won't be till way later that, that they are ever back in any kind of control or, yep. like, you know, given any kind of access to lead a movement. Yeah. I, I, the exact dates are escaping me right now, but when we read about these stories out of Acts about the church starting in the apostles and even Paul, it's kind of this like mini sweet spot for the church. Cause it's not long after that, that the persecution not only ramps up, but it gets like super, super extreme. Like yeah. the uh, Romans for like a hundred years tried to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. You know, like Mark is growing his beard while we're talking. It just feels good. Yeah. Uh, Don't judge me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just laughing. That is kind of like judgment. So it's like <laughs> that persecution ramps up in a pretty extreme way mm-hmm. for a, a long time. Yeah. And yet not only did Christianity survive, but after that it became like the official you know, religion of the empire. And that's when it really spread throughout to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you compare all of these things, whether it's being imprisoned, being flogged, becoming a martyr, having to, you know, being kicked out of your home city and home state for the rest of your life, um, you know, in many ways, kind of being on the run, like, for the rest of your life. Those are pretty poignant examples of, like, persecution, yeah. like actual persecution. And we're not dealing with that kind of persecution. No, I... <laughs> I feel like when some of those voices kind of start chiming up and getting loud about persecution in this country, I wonder if there's like ever refugees or immigrants who are here from like other countries where they actually experience persecution who are like, you guys are dumb. Like, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like there's some believers in China who are like, yeah, I'll switch. No problem. Like I'll trade yeah. with you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a friend who started uh, relaying or talking about the fact that he felt like um, that he maybe needed to be Bonhoeffer 
you know, that some of the stuff that was going on in our country right now was like akin to Nazis in World War Two, and that he just couldn't, you know, stand by and not uh, make. And I was just like, wow, man, like, I don't I'm sorry. Like, I don't I'm not there. I mm-hmm. don't think that's a real <laughs> thing. No. You know what I mean? Like, so I think sometimes we're like manufacturing persecution and it may come. There may be a day when that comes. I think every civilization br- starts to break down over time, and then those things might start to happen. But, you know, the church is dealing with persecution all over the world, and they persevere, and we will too. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to <coughs> create persecution. And even if real persecution does come at some point, then it's our job to, like like Paul, like these guys, like martyr, the martyrs from the, those days, like is to revel in the idea that we get to suffer with Jesus. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that's a crazy thought, but that is, that is how they Mm -hmm. perceive the whole thing. And here we are like, oh, you know, Starbucks doesn't put Merry Christmas on their cups anymore. And, you know, we're just, the culture is just moving away from us and we're just being persecuted. Like, no, (laughs) that's that's not, those are not the same things. Right. Um, and I'm picking an innocuous, uh, version of that conversation because there's other ones that are not so you know whatever Um, so I just think like we need to kind of keep that in mind (coughs) and then the last thing I didn't really spend a lot of time talking about (coughs) is um, actually let me if you give me a second here let me pull up my app Um, is that little tag on that section it's uh, in Acts Chapter five, no, chapter four. Come on, Mark. Um, and you know what's crazy is that, like, and we're going to talk a lot more about this this week. But I feel like that sort of boldness leads to this unbelievable generosity. That, like, when you're willing to give up anything, you're willing to give up anything. Yeah. Right. Like, so they're willing to give up their lives, their their health, their you know, like for them, it's, 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 it's this important to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the next section is all the believers share their pos- possessions. I'm going to actually read this. It's uh, verse 32 in chapter four. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own. They shared everything they had. And people are like, socialism, communism. No, I'm going to get to this in a second here. And we're going to clarify this this week. But with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they were granted what they asked for with this boldness to share. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had had need. Okay. So just, just process this for a minute. People start selling their possessions to take care of the church. And you, you think like, okay, um, this is a, a really generous uh, thing that someone could do to to help the church, but you also have to process this in the in the regard that like if someone accepted Jesus at that time, they were walking away from their own inheritance and their own family. Mm. They were walking away from their connection, their community, their their family. A lot of times, they were walking away from their family system because now, if you were going to not be a, a Jew, but you were going to actually be a Christ follower, your family was about to cut you off. What? what you had for the rest of your life as far as your 
your um, sort of retirement, the generational wealth in your family that would be passed down to you, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, you now no longer have those connections with family. So the church had to like become family for people mm-hmm. and had to take care of, when it talks about in a couple chapters here, them taking care of widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. That would have been the job of a family that the widow or orphan walked away from, yep. that now the church was stepping in to take care of those people who had yeah. stepped away. It's almost like today, if you're a Muslim and you decide to follow Jesus, and this is why it's one of the hardest groups of people to share Christ with, and we see the least amount of uh, effectiveness, they have to leave everything. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus tells a story about like, guy found a treasure in a field and sold everything he had and then went back and bought the field like there's an all-in factor here mm-hmm. and even today in you know certain situations like muslims mm-hmm. where you got to buy the whole field and you got to walk away from everything you know when jesus says like hey um you know you got to love jesus more than you love your parents you're like that's a weird thing to say but i love my parents but in re- <laughs> in this regard you you essentially cut off your yeah they cut you off but yeah you essentially walk away from your whole support system. Mm-hmm. And so these and, people... And walk away from everything you know. I mean, it yeah. was also their culture on inheritance too. Right. So Yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. And so, and it, it's also like later on in the, in the book of Acts where they are struggling with how Jewish do you need to be, you also need to process this conversation in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Because again, they've lost, these Jews have lost so much following Jesus that there's like, I can see why they'd want to grasp onto something. You know what I mean? Like, no, 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 no. We, we lost yeah. everything, but we have to keep and then, you know, add in whatever spiritual practice that they want to add in, you know, circumcision yeah. or, or eating yeah. kosher or whatever. And it's like, all that's got to go, you know, yeah. for you to go in. So when these people are giving away, they sell a piece of land and they're, and they're giving it to the church, you have to think through the, the idea that, like, they're taking care of a lot of people that they love Mm-hmm. And from a like a leadership perspective or from like a wealth perspective, they have it and they want to take care of the community. And so this is a generous act from these kinds of people. And it kind of reframes it because I think a lot of people have said, you know, like we need to be this way for the church. You know, we need to, we need to be generous like this. And I do think you need to be generous as a Christian. As you grow, you need to be more generous. You need to keep growing your generosity. Like giving to the church is part of what it means to be generous as a believer, if you this is your community of people that you're taking care of, like you should give and give generously and keep keep growing that. But there's something happening here where these people are saying, "Cool, I can give to this. I can help. I can take care of these people." This wasn't for the movement to have, um, like this wasn't to legitimize the movement. It wasn't to set up a treasury. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was to feed everybody. <laughs> they it weren't was, doing a capital campaign. Yes. No, it was yeah. taking care of widows and orphans yeah. in their community. Yeah. A couple of chapters later, they actually organize themselves and they get deacons. Mm-hmm. And these, these people go around and actually make sure that everyone's being treated fairly and that all the orphans and widows are being taken care of. So like, they actually get people to make sure that this money is being used properly. And they organize themselves. And if you're like a... Mm-hmm. If you're an administrative person or you like love, you know, organizing, that's that's your passage, that's your jam. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, the, this little tag is kind of a weird piece, but it comes off of the boldness. And you can see the pastoral feeling of the group where they feel responsible to take care of this new community. Yeah. So that was parts I couldn't get in the sermon because it would have been too long. Um, <laughs> What? I know. Some of that will make it into this week as well as we talk about Ananias and Sapphire. Yeah. Don't get 
struck down by God. So we could we could say that in general, like that could be a, one of our values moving forward. <laughs> like, don't get struck down by God. Don't Are we gonna have podcast T-shirts that just take random statements and we <laughs> <Yeah>. just start? <laughs> So don't get struck down by God is like, you know, whatever you're doing, don't get struck. Always in pursuit podcast. Don't get struck down by God. We have somebody like um, embroider us some pillows or something with just random quotes. Very crafty person out there. Leah Danielson. So instead of like the, uh, like home is where the heart is. (laughs) Just Just, don't get struck down by God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't, I don't think that was meant <laughs> no, to be on a pillow. It's um, not what you think it is. So that's that's the gist of the sermon, and it, it kind of helps us frame the rest of the conversation or whatever. It helps us process. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of that sh- uh, shook something loose in either of you, but mm-hmm. that, that's kind of how I was processing the whole passage. So, yeah. No, I think one of the really great things about all of this is that Throughout this, this conversation, this sermon series, you know, to be on this rescue mission to get back to what the church is about, you really got to dig deep sometimes and find some of these really basic things. And whether it's the notion of sharing and boldness or whether it's um, looking at, like, the cultural reality of the time and what those first Christians were going through and the implications of that, and then trying to translate that into our context in modern times all of those things are valuable because i think the temptation would be to just take a passage like that at face value and be like well god wants me to sell my house and give it to the church like <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe right. um and there are times where that could happen <laughs> but i think god actually cherishes shelter for you and your kids like <laughs> he wants you to be safe you know like, if you have to sell your house to give to the church but then you now need the church to help you uh get a house be sheltered and yeah. fed yeah. Eh, maybe not but it's more gain at the heart of what was actually going on there and what is what does that mean for us today like what is our version of that mm-hmm. you know and it also kind of sheds light on this notion of the those first Christians were helping the other converts who were switching from from being a Jew to being a Christian. Yeah. Now that gets a little bit more complicated because we're not switching from Judaism, you know, Judaism to Christianity. It's more looking at people who maybe grew up in the church and walked away from it, right. or it's people who grew up mm-hmm. in different tradition of Christianity, or maybe someone who has immigrated here from a different country and they're a completely different culture right. and there's a different context there. What are the different implications, those subcontexts for each of those different people as they come to this country and interact with Christians and churches? And what does that look like and what does that mean? And so I think each of us have to wrestle with these topics in our own way and and figure out, like, what is God calling each of us to do? That's the first part. And then the second part is collectively as we come together as the body, what does that mean for us as the church, the kingdom, but then also our individual churches as well? Yeah. So. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, you know, my parents live in Florida. My wife's parents live in Boston. Um, we don't have any family here. Mm-hmm. We moved out here uh, 10 years ago now or 11 years ago now. And it's like, I don't know uh, how we would have raised our kids to this age and gotten through life without mm-hmm. having a family mm-hmm. of people from our church. And I don't understand how people do that on their own when they don't have that built in safety net 
you know. So I think of that from that perspective. The church needs to be this fam that like takes care of people, mm-hmm. which I think in general our church is great at that. Yeah. Um, I also think <coughs> when we're talking about somebody like who you know could be Muslim, we got to be really holistic in what we offer to a new mm-hmm. convert or mm-hmm. at, to someone who's considering Christ. Like we have to step in now and be the support that they don't have anymore. Yep. Yeah. And that's a really, I'm not sure, you know, I, I was talking to um, a missionary who does diaspora ministries and mm. they were telling me that's not important. It's just scattered people. So people who are here, but um, like they're not in their homeland, but they're still a community of people mm. in different places or whatever. Yeah. That's what diaspora means. So, he was saying the amount of Muslim converts to Christianity is like <coughs> non-existent. He was like, "There's," he's heard a story about one guy, and then that guy became a pastor, but then it ended in some tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so small the amount of people who have come here and received Christ <coughs> because the built-in safety net, the social network, the fabric mm-hmm. is all built into that community and mm-hmm. and the religious piece of it. So it's almost like in order to reach into that community, you have to recreate all of those pieces that people need to be able to help them walk away. Like you can't just be like, mm-hmm. you know, this guy accepted Jesus and then, you know, tell a testimony at church and then cool. Good luck. Like there's so much that you now have to do to support that person. hundred percent. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just really, I don't know. It's one of those difficult things that... I mean, th- that's kind of a spot that I've come to over years of thinking and wrestling through these different topics and conversations is this notion that, like, <coughs> I think one of the things that the church has done, and I'm talking about church in general, not our church Big or a C. specific church, yeah. One of the disservices that we've done is when we think about, like, evangelism specifically, but also, like, converting someone to Christianity, we think, like, the pinnacle of that, the you know, the top of that mountain is get them to come to church on a Sunday. <laughs> and it's like, oh my goodness. Like yeah. in this context, that is like the first step of like 5,000, you know, because yep. especially if you're someone coming from a different country, a different culture, or in a bigger way, like a different religion, it takes so much more because they might have their own version of what we were just talking about, walking away from their family, walking away from their inheritance, walking away from their cultural inheritance, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, if if I were immigrating to a, a different country, I think one of the first things that Jess and I would probably do is like find a group of other Americans, like expatriates, that we could hang out with and befriend, yep. you know, because yeah. we'd be able to share in our culture and language and things like that. Like it makes total sense that if someone's coming here from this country from somewhere else that they do the same thing, <coughs> but then also realize that like that's a huge hurdle for that person to get over to convert them to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like yep. that's a really, really, really big deal. And if the church or the people who make up the church are not willing or able or even understand that they need to like step in and, and do some of that, then it's no wonder yeah. we don't see a lot of people converting, you know, from different countries, different cultures, different religions. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. Well, the other, I think that was me for a second. Yeah. You good. Yeah. Okay. Poor Megan, she's trying to recover from a coughing fit. Uh, so, to continue the conversation we started last week, because we did get some feedback, which mm-hmm. is kind of good. I got some people who, m- most of the feedback we got are people who were like, yeah, way to go, right on, that's a great conversation to have. And um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's uh, 
I'm not excited about the conversation, you know, but yeah. I feel like we are reading it correctly. Mm-hmm. We're trying to. And, you know, I, I think as we're thinking, you know, I don't want to say we get paid to do this, but like we're always looking at where things are going. Mm-hmm. Like, and we're probably thinking, and I especially think in the future, like if your personality is one of those people that like think in the past or in the future, like I'm the person that thinks far ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm just looking at the landscape and thinking 10 years down the road, um, not 2022. Yeah. So some of these conversations that I'm having, they might even feel a little bit premature or like they haven't fully grown mm-hmm. into what I'm pointing at is the probable outcome. But to be honest with you, I actually think we're way behind. Yeah. I think people don't see it because they don't have relationships with a lot of Z, a lot of Gen Z. And, you know, Gen Z is, um, I mean, essentially our millennials are like 40 right now down to, man, how old are millennials? Down to like late 20s. And then you've got essentially like college age, just out of college, down into probably like high school Mm -hmm. is our Gen Z uh, students. And then you've got a whole other generation they haven't even defined really yet behind them that are coming up, which I'm raising one of those. I have a 10-year-old. Yeah. So I'm in that next generation. Right? I really hope they come up with a better name. Like I've heard people say like TikTok, <laughs> oh, Gen TikTok or something. Oh. I'd be like, oh, don't, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Like, and there's a ton we could talk about, about Gen Z and millennials. Because mm-hmm. there is, um, it's some of the trends that started with millennials are now being full born in Gen Z. But then there's also some trends that uh, millennials and Z are... Uh, that are part of their um, mm-hmm. their generation that are like almost like um, a response to baby boomers and Gen Xers. Yeah. Right? So they're almost like they're, it's not like, so millennials, you know, uh, became much more atheist or none, mm-hmm. right? So people that had no affiliation, religious affiliation at all. Gen Z was like, hold my you know, my Red Bull and (laughs) let me show you what this really looks like. Right. So we're at a point now where Gen Z is about four to 8%. Um, what we would call like a committed believer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And you look at baby boomers. We're probably like double that. And then we're talking about committed. We're not talking about like a church Christian, like going through the motions or whatever. I'm talking about a, someone who has a high view of scripture, someone whose worldview is based on Jesus and the Bible, someone who, you know, probably is in some sort of community, probably serves somewhere in a church. Like I don't really want to define that yeah. exactly, but somebody who has a really like, um, <coughs> like, I don't want to say honest faith, but like an authentic faith, mm-hmm. right? Their, their life is kind of wrapped around that, that their faith. Um, that number has gone, you know, from, let's just call it 20% in baby boomers. I mean, you could find different numbers, but they're all kind of in that same version, that same kind of area down to like four to 8% in Gen Z. And of course, Gen X is very similar to baby boomers. And on these numbers, they don't really go down very much millennials. It like drops and Gen Z is like off a cliff. Yeah. (laughs) And I think people think that maybe we're having a conversation about 10 years from now that like this isn't full born and that it's going to it's going to come home to roost later but i'm actually trying to say like it's here now 
Mm-hmm. Like, and the reason we don't always feel it in the church is because we still have a whole generation of people that are uh, authentic Christians, and we don't have Gen Z or millennials yeah. generally in the same numbers or at all. And I wouldn't say that's true about our <coughs> about our church. I think we actually reach millennials really well. Like, it's probably the main thing we do. Um, like, our church makeup is probably like you know, 50, 60% millennials, like lots and lots and lots of little kids and, you know, young families. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's already he- <coughs> here mm-hmm. and we're watching baby boomers right off into the sunset. And Gen X, again, has really not provided us anything helpful. They've just done more of the same crap and, and you know. They were a lot more angsty. Yeah. Though, like so. they just really wanted the baby boomers <laughs> approval. That's really what it came down to. We want to be like them, you know, it's like, yeah. They're cool uncles. They want to be like their cool uncles. Um, and so it's kind of left to us. Of course, I say that I'm 41. I'm, I, you could call me Gen X or you could call me millennial. I got like one foot in one and one foot in the other, which maybe makes me like... I think I've said this before, fair. but I'm like four months into millennial. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah, I, I feel more Gen X than I feel millennial. I really think like it's 83 mm-hmm. that really begins millennial, like the generation of millennials. And... That if you're in that 79 to 83 range, you just feel like you don't fit anywhere. You just, there's a weirdo. Your own thing. Yeah. yeah. And then they've said Zenial, but I just think that's like a, you know, I feel like just, you're just confused. We're a micro generation. Yeah. So I'm confused, <laughs> right? But at least I can be honest about both. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. feel like I, I have a dog in the fight. Yeah. But I do think that people think that, okay, so they think that this is like something that's coming, but I, I want to say it's already here. Like I already see a post-Christian landscape. I already see the idea that like we're not we're not the darlings of things and we don't set the cultural yeah. norms. Mm-hmm. And it feels like we're still fighting for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've already lost. Mm-hmm. I think it's over. I actually don't think we need to now worry about trying to fight for our values and morals to be legislated for sure not to be legislated. And secondly to expect anyone to live up to our morals and values. And I think we need to embrace the idea that like if we don't change and do something differently that brings in more Z Mm -hmm. that reaches out to millennials who are, you know, uh, disconnected from the church and feeling like, like, uh, the church has left them. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I think that that would be the way I think a lot of people would say it. Like I didn't really change, but the church changed and left me or I finally got to be an adult and woke up to the idea that like this was built on a pretty shaky foundation. Um, if we don't make those changes, then we just, it's a clock that's ticking down. It's not, a new yeah. vibrant thing that's being handed off to the next generation, mm-hmm. you know, and those changes bring angst in people and people struggle with those changes. So I pulled, um, an article. It's actually from the gospel coalition, which kind of blows my mind. Cause they, they got something right <laughs> here. Um, if you don't know who the gospel coalition is, that's fine. You don't need to worry about what I just said. Um, and they just, it's an article that's five things that frustrate Gen Z Christians. I'm biting my tongue so hard. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Sometimes, look, like, uh, I love the gospel. Listen, coalition. clocks are right twice a day, you know, like <laughs> if a, yeah. a, a broken clock is, yeah. wow, I, clocks, <laughs> if, a, if a clock's broken and it's not moving correctly or set correctly, it'll never be right all day. But if it's broken, it'll be right twice a day. But okay. if it's in the woods, does it still? <sighs> all right, five time? things. Yeah. <laughs> This is a theological <laughs> yeah. conversation, by the way. All all places in the world are held together by Jesus' presence. Yep. 
whether we're there or not. So if something makes a noise, the presence of God is there to hear it. So I've just now solved your philosophical dilemma with theology. Boom. There you go, Descartes. Hey, um, (laughs) while you're looking that up, I was going to say... Descartes? Yeah. Descartes. Uh, It is here. It's here. And I think it's been here for a while. And I think we're just now... It feels like we're just starting to talk about it. But I think people... I say people, but like Christian culture, Christian leaders have been talking about this for a while, yeah. and it's been very on the, uh, very much on like the fringe, the periphery. Mm. Yeah. Know? But there's a lot of reasons. Like the pandemic has kind of thrust this into a lot of our, um, you know, perspective, and we're also realizing that like because of the pandemic, it's it's kind of shaken a lot of the other generation's faith as well in a similar way that Gen Z's faith has been shaken already, you know, pre pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm not going to make like a climate change analogy here, but I think the, uh, the notion that we're talking about that you are, you know, talking about is that we're starting to have the conversation. So some people might think like, Oh, this is like, I'm not ready to have this conversation. And we're trying to say like, well, we should have been having this conversation like 20 years ago. That's what we should have been doing. Yeah. Yeah. There um, was some denial in there. Yeah. But it, it's not too late, I think, because, you know, that that's what church and Christianity and being a Christ follower is all about. Is <laughs> like it's uh the newsroom. One of my all time favorite shows. Uh it's an Aaron Sorkin uh thing from HBO. Yeah. A couple years ago, Jeff Daniels is like the main character. Mm-hmm. Um he brings on a climate change person onto his show you should go google this uh clip if you i mean it's it's hysterical and he goes he's like gonna be fair with the guy and he says okay tell me about the climate and he says well to be honest with you it's it's like already over and he's like well you know let's be let's be um uh encouraging to people like what can we change how could we do things and he goes well it's sort of like i don't know like if your house is already burned down around you um yeah, there's not really much you can do. And he's like, well, this isn't going to help people. Like, um, you know, they're not going to have any hope. And he's like, well, I mean, I suppose if you want to know what we could do, like we could go backwards in time about 30 years and do something. But uh, to be honest with you, like this is over. And so it's just this back and forth between this like reporter who's trying to interview this guy. And he's just like, he's just like so strongly explaining that we're definitely screwed and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, I think there are people like that, uh, in church world who've already said like, Mm. this is, um, not fixable. Yeah. Can't turn this around. Can't reinvent this. Can't reimagine this. Um, we do need to go back that many years to make changes and it's already done. And a lot of those voices are using that as sort of like a proof of like the end times are nigh. Like, yes, you know, Mm. well, but it's that, but it's also the. There's a movement of people who are, I think, just were hurt by the church. Yeah. And they're just saying, like, my experience is common to, like, everyone now. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're wrong. Um, there are, like, tons of bad churches out there. There are ton- Like, this movement has been co-opted in many ways. And, you know, but I'm not going to come from the perspective that, that this can't be fixed or changed or reinvented. Mm. Because to me, there's always hope. Like, I go back to, like, sorry to pull the Jesus card and everything, but, like, he says, like... Um, you know, you, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never overcome it. I'll give you the keys. I'll empower you to do the things that 
I've called you to do. I just think it takes enough of us, people who are in positions of power within the church, to still continue to persevere, to be honest about what's actually happening, to you know hear what people are saying, and then to make the changes necessary. And then we'll see fruit down the road if we do the right things now. And if we are waiting and arguing over mm-hmm. where we're at, we're not moving in the right direction yet. Like, we all have to agree this is where we're at. We're in a post-Christian world. Our worldview is going to continue to be less and less adopted by people. The younger and younger you get, the less Christian you get, the more dire the situation. If we don't change, if we don't do things differently, we will not survive. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean like we'll be extinct, but the church will lose its ability to continue to make a difference in the world. Yeah. And it won't die. Jesus yeah. guarantees it. But yeah. also, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of distractions in there, too. I mean, we started this conversation talking about the the feigning persecution. <laughs> you know, like, that's one of the things we get distracted with. Like, we spend our time focusing on that, and it's like, oh, maybe we should be talking about Gen Z. <laughs> like, you know, or we, you know, a lot of the things that we've talked about in all these podcasts and these sermons, we lose our identity because we saddle ourselves with... A, pl- a political ideology that becomes the thing, or mm-hmm. we become so concerned, micro concerned about growth. Like growth is the thing, like, right. and that's not the thing. Like these are all distractions from what really is important here. And and our rescue mission is to get back to what is. Mm-hmm. I think people would be like, "Well, we can't just change the church every time culture changes." And it's like, actually, that's what we've been doing for two thousand years. Yeah, but uh, it's just happened in. 100 year periods or 500 year periods or 50 year periods and now change is so constant that it's like micro a lot faster yeah it's like micro changes on top of us all the time Mm -hmm. in fact another shout out for the leadership uh thing this weekend one of the things we're talking about agile leadership Mm -hmm. where to be honest with you the only constant thing in our world right now if you're a leader is change Mm -hmm. like Things change so rapidly. Yep. And not even just in the church, just in life in general. The most constant theme of your life over the last 10 years has probably been change. Right. Yeah, things don't hold together very long nope. like they used to. Mm-hmm. Even a generation, baby boomer generation was like 25, 30 years. Gen mm-hmm. X was like 2018 years. Millennials are like 15 years. Gen Z is like five generations already. Like micro inside of it, they're like two, yeah. three years apiece. Like mm-hmm. um, it's just changing so rapidly that you know so i kind of feel like if we're not paying attention and moving we almost are already a step or two or three behind whenever we do make a change it's like should have done that five years ago um so i just wanted to point this out this is pretty good article from gospel coalition five things that just frustrate gen z christians one when partisan politics reshape faith i think we spent a little time talking about that last week um in the last six months I had a conversation with two older Gen Z's, kids from my youth group, um, kids that don't go to our church, but I love dearly and uh, who are, you know, figuring out their faith and getting connected and trying to figure out what it looks like moving forward. And as we talked through some of the stuff that's gone on and I was sharing some stories from our church or some stories from other pastors, their like response was just like disgust. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. like I, I mentioned that we we talked about race and we lost some people. I mentioned that we lost some people over COVID decisions. Yep. Uh, 
I mentioned that my friends, uh, other churches that uh, you know that I know about or pastors I know about, where they had some some nonsense happen in their church when I shared the story, they just disgust. They're just disgusted by this kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't even seem like um, it makes any sense to them because it feels like that your politics are shaping your your faith is like backwards to them. Yep. Your faith is or your politics are a secondary issue to your faith to Gen Z and. I think what you have is you have people who make their worldview their politics, and then mm-hmm. that is their primary thing. But if you have Christians, you know, uh, in Gen Z, they're generally saying, "Why are we arguing over stuff that we shouldn't argue over? And why don't we make the gospel the main thing?" Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get frustrated when the church is overly political and or allowing the faith of the church to be shaped by one narrative or the other. Um, and in general, the church has been a little conservative and shaped I think more my experience more towards the conservative end of the spectrum and they're just disgusted by it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean like they just yeah. yep. that's not gonna that's not gonna reach out to that generation of mm-hmm. if they come to a rally for some political leader at their church mm-hmm. right yeah they have they have high levels of respect for people's autonomy like even when they don't agree with you, Gen mm-hmm. Z, mm-hmm. like they'll be like, "Cool, that's your thing." Yep. Those are your viewpoints. I still respect you as a person and want to have a relationship with you, even if we don't agree. High yeah. value for authenticity. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, autonomy, like your individual ideas. Like, yep. Yeah, it's not about trying to win someone over to your side. You know, it's about like, cool. This is who you are and what you believe. I respect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. I think the woke mob conversations or the uh, other end of the spectrum, the sort of, you know, the vilification of the woke mob, like for calling these two people, the two extremes of the political climate um, in general, there's zero respect for each other's (laughs) autonomous political beliefs. Like they vilify each other. And I think Gen Z actually isn't as much part of that conversation as we think they are. The media is actually the one doing that. Yeah. And they're acting like there's this group of young people who are just outraged at everybody's thoughts, mm-hmm. but they're actually really respectful of each other yep. when they're in relationship of all their, mm-hmm. whatever they're bringing to the table. Um, and I think a lot of times they will give you more respect if you're, um, if you sort of are able to articulate and defend and talk about why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Like you've thought this through. Mm-hmm. You have a viewpoint. Yeah. I respect that. Yep. Um, second one, they said, when apologetics outweigh relationships, mm-hmm. that that drives them bananas. I think we talked about this one maybe two episodes ago. The notion that for Gen Z, it's a high uh, desire for relationship and, and connectedness. Mm-hmm. And that if someone's trying to convince you of something or like, prove something to you this is a generation that has grown up being marketed to their entire lives and they don't like that they have a great sensor you know meter for it they can sniff it out and feel it and Mm -hmm. they reject it Hmm. almost wholesale and so if you're apologetically trying to convince someone why they should be a christ follower have faith that is gen z (laughs) with like proofs it's not going to work. It's going to backfire. You can be saying the absolute perfect things that are truthful, biblical, like right. knowledgeable, wise. It most likely will backfire because that's not the language they speak. They reject those things almost wholesale. Like, right. 
So yeah, they want to show up to a church where they see people are accepted into that church that are like, um, I'm trying to think of the right words to use here. Like, I feel like they think there are certain people that wouldn't be accepted into a church. And when they show up at one that has, um, a breadth of people that are loved and cared for, even that probably wouldn't fit at some other churches. Mm-hmm. That's like a major plus to them because mm-hmm. yep. they look at it and they go, that person would have been kicked out of my last church, mm-hmm. but they're here. Mm-hmm. And so yep. this place values relationships. Yep. They want to see that on, right. on display that, that relationships are important mm-hmm. and that community is important. Yeah. Like that's their main motivating. Uh, it's like their main so- mm-hmm. so source of motivation. I'd say like, Baby Boomer's main source of motivation was like truth mm. at all costs. Yep. And nice. Gen Z, and of course this kind of cascades down as you get younger, Gen Z is going, relationships are our main thing. Like mm-hmm. we want to see people accepted, loved, part of the community. Like this goes to like they grew up without, you know, like no bullying. Our entire school is going to band together to make sure that everyone fits. Uh, that we're going to have our, you know, even our um, special needs kids integrated into our classrooms. Uh, we're the most um, multicultural generation that's ever existed. Like most socially aware yes. generation. So there's yeah. like, they are already uh, sort of unifying and wanting everyone to have a place and wanting everyone to belong and relationship is what drives them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when they show up at a place and somebody goes, uh, let's divide ourselves based on our, our, you know, uh, theological viewpoints. You guys go over there. You guys go over there. You guys just get out. Mm-hmm. They go, this is not our thing. Yeah. So, uh, third one, when Christians don't live what they believe. <laughs> I don't think we've talked about this at Jeez. all. <laughs> uh, I mean, authentic is their main thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Like, if uh can't trust you, if you're yep. not actually just being authentic in who you are, then this is not going to work. Yep. They have very honed in BS meters. And as soon as they see it, they're done. They're out. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so much so, I I think this kind of gets to like, in some ways, cancel culture. Like if you look at cancel culture and kind of dig deep, it gets to this root of like, you were pretending you were this way, but you were actually this way. Right. Mm-hmm. So we want to cancel the fake you mm-hmm. and make you sure everyone remembers. Like, you don't get a platform anymore. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what's funny is that the people who can't get canceled are the most authentic people. Yeah. Even if they're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> you have people double down on their, on their, what's getting them canceled and it ends up working so that they don't get canceled. Like the authenticity gets them through that, mm-hmm. that woke mob mentality yeah it's funny you see people like i mean i'll just throw out like a joe rogan or like a you know like a even dave Chappelle right now is going through this kind of stuff like mm-hmm. and if you don't know who those people are that's fine don't go look them up that's fine you don't have to know who they are <laughs> but like they're not getting canceled because they're just leaning even more into authenticity whether you agree with them or not yeah. right yeah. like whether you agree like they're just going well this is who i am like i am this person so if you want to vilify me go ahead i don't care and i think there's like um, enough young people who are like well that guy's authentic like, right. I'm okay with him. He doesn't need to be canceled. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny that that's actually like what gets you through some of these these yep. moments. It's mm-hmm. the people that they find out that are gaming the system. Yeah, you know, and trying to, uh, I don't know, preach one thing and do another. Yeah, yeah. and of course it's applied, you know, not fairly. 
across yes. different groups of people. True, but if you just apply it to that the the heading, like Christians, you know, hypocrisy is a big a big issue, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think everyone has done or is doing in in a variety of ways because we're not perfect and we never will be. But it gets more to the heart of if you're saying this, your actions need to live up to to the words or the things that you're saying. Right. And if they don't, then why should I listen to anything else or do anything else that you're saying? I reject that. And so. Yeah. They grew up with so much access to information that it was no longer, it it no longer carried weight to say something and be like, well, you should believe me just because I said so. (laughs) Yeah. Like they came up, they respond with, we'll prove it. Right. Either show me where you got that. Or show me how you're living that out. Like, yep. you have to prove it. You can't just say it. Right. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah. I feel like they sniff it out, they call it out, mm-hmm. and you lose trust. Yep. And that's how it works. Yep. And they don't care if you're cool. They just want you to be real. Yep. So, we've been preaching that for a long time. It was one of our youth yep. ministry values. Yep. Is uh, be real. So, Aaron's telling me that we need to wrap it up. So, um, I'll do number four here. When Christians are known more for judgment than love, when, and I, I believe this too, like when Christians are known more for what they're against than what they're for, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh, it's yep. rough. Yep. I mean, we could probably spend multiple episodes just on this notion that we could. It seems so uh, simple and foundational and just basic. This the idea of put all of your debates about you know, theology and what the church church should or shouldn't be on the shelf. And you just look at Jesus and what he did and what he said, the mm-hmm. themes, Jesus embodied love and grace yep. in everything he did, yep. which means there really isn't much room for judgment at all. <laughs> yep. like, and yet this is where we spend so much time being stuck, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's not always in like big ways. It's like, we we get stuck as churches judging other Christians within the church because yeah. they might see something slightly different than we do, or it's all it's just about love and grace, people. Yep, yeah. they will know us by our love for so, one for one another. Yeah, yeah. Don't How we get, love each other. Don't yeah. get it mixed up. How we love each other. Yep. Yeah. Uh, our love for pets. <laughs> no. Well, no. That one another phrase is literally means you'll know you by the way that you love the other people in your church. Yep. Like, it doesn't even mean people outside the church. It, the one another is a phrase that we use when we're talking about how we treat each other in the church. Mm-hmm. People outside of the church will see how we treat each other mm-hmm. and be like, got to be part of that. Yep. Um, and it, it's a weird, look, there is a line, there is a tough conversation to be had. I was like thinking about this, you know, the uh, Matthew 18 sort of stuff about calling people on their sin and challenging them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and we always often say like this is an imperfect church for imperfect people, but like we also don't want to let people use that imperfect person concept to allow them to stay in sin and mm-hmm. to not change and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like the process of being regenerated, changed by the Holy Spirit is a lifelong process that we need to continue to go through. But I think the key piece of it would be like be authentic in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like don't pretend that you're better than you are. Yeah. 
don't hold people to a standard that you yourself aren't holding yourself to. Mm -hmm. And then also be willing to help other people out of the stuff that they're struggling with in relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Not like judgmental as in like you are doing it all wrong, but as in, hey, let me help you pick some of this up. Let me hold you accountable. I want the best for you, right? And that's when that stuff starts to really transform people. It's not about judgment. We're not, ultimately we're not the ones that get to judge anything, we should be judging ourselves harshly and we should be judging other people with grace, mm-hmm. but we should also be encouraging other people to be transformed. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the really hard part because you're like, I was actually having a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago and I was like, listen, you know the answer to this problem. What you're doing is not pleasing God and you're making a big mistake. I was having like a real conversation with somebody from our church, and they're, they're like, I feel like you're judging me right now. And I was like, I want the best for you. I'm giving yeah. you godly advice mm. that you're doing something that is going to really hurt your life. Like, don't yeah. go in this direction. Do what God has called you to do. Yeah. And there's a fine line between... <laughs> there is. I, mm-hmm. I mean, the opposite of judgment is not like passivity. It's love. So that doesn't mean like when we think of love, we do a disservice if we just think it's like squishy and warm and like mm. gentle. It can be rough at times. Like it can be loving can mean being very clear and very abrupt and like pointing things out that are not fun and easy. Like, but it gets to like I mean, keep using heart. Like maybe I should say the core of yeah. of what we're trying to accomplish here. You can do that in love, and yep. it's not passive. Or just letting yep. someone do whatever they want. Right. Like yeah. that passage and this notion is not just about giving people a blank check to do whatever they want. Cause that's the opposite of love. That's yep. right. Yeah. That's generally would be taking advantage of people or mm-hmm. would be selfish. Yeah. Right. That, that sort of yeah. like yeah. idea. Loving can be accepting and loving can be, um, permissive of certain things, but it's not, if I love you and you're doing something wrong, Yep. That means I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm not just yeah. going to ignore it. It also means being honest. Yeah. And honesty is not always the easiest thing. No. no. It does not always feel good. No. Um, and the last one was when Christians aren't serious thinkers. Um, and I love this one, I think is really funny because this is like a TikTok thing. Um, <laughs> you jump on TikTok and you, you look in for like spiritual, like, people who are talking about the Bible or talking about whatever, a lot of times there'll be like people who walked away from church or had an issue with church and they'll be like explaining to you like a Bible story. And it's hysterical when you listen to them because like they're just processing it through their own lens. They don't understand kind of the the nuances of scripture or kind of how things are written. Mm -hmm. And so they're like bringing up really realistic points that need to be overcome by like serious thinkers Hmm. like and when you start to have the conversation it goes way downhill real fast it's like well you don't know anything about blah blah blah. i think we get defensive but honestly i think they just want to be a people you know gen z wants to be engaged in a way that seems like fair and real like if we're going to defend scripture we should be able to explain Hmm. why this genocide happened and why this Mm -hmm. difficult passage is in there and why you know and of course we want to go back to jesus and really focus in on all his like uh teachings and you know start in that place because i think that is probably the place where i think most people will find traction Mm -hmm. but we better be able to have real conversations i think there's a lot of people that just grew up in church they just grew up like with the stuff given to them and they go yeah i'm swallowing it all it's fine yeah well it ties back to the the desire to prove it 
Like, tell me why. Give me a why. Show me why. Don't just expect me to jump on board because you said the Bible said so. Right. Yeah, the Bible said so does not work. Yeah, yeah. no. There's no authority there anymore. Yeah. It's like a watchword for them, and they're they're like half out the door right. yeah. <laughs> already. Gen, Gen Z, as we've talked about multiple times during this podcast, they crave authenticity. Mm-hmm. And authenticity requires awareness. Mm-hmm. And awareness, essentially, is knowledge of self. You know, yep. And so if you're not critically thinking about who you are and what you believe and why, but not doing that like in a an oppressive, like I'm trying to convince you to be like me way, then they, they don't have time for that. You know, they don't want propaganda. They want Mm -hmm. people who think and know why they are who they are. They're not content to just float along. No. Like they want to be engaged in their life. Yeah. I think if, if, uh, you can't say I have really thought long and hard about this problem and overcome it in my own thinking, like why do bad things happen to people you know good people why mm-hmm. you know why is there acts of genocide in the old testament why like if you haven't considered those things and you haven't thought through them all and then someone asks you that question and you're like i don't know like cuz it's the bible and i believe it yeah. then they're like cool not interested in that right <laughs> well and you've well, lost I, I gotta go. credibility <laughs> yeah. with with them yeah, yeah. if you yeah. if you haven't yeah. spent the time digging through those things on your own right yeah, if you want to engage with those people, then you have to have a level of respect for their thoughts and knowledge and then understand that they want you to display that to them too. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's not transactional, it's it's mutual respect in that in that sense. Yep. So. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in today. Fun conversation as always and um we will be back next week. Just a reminder uh, that if you guys have any questions about this conversation, these topics, or any of our previous uh, podcasts, be sure to either drop those in the comments section on here, or you can always send those to our office uh, email, which is office at pursuitcommunity.church. We have a text in number too. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to text um, our, our office number, it's 612-688-9575. So shoot us a text and let us know that you were listening. Oh, I can't believe you knew the office number off the top of your head. I have it pulled up okay. on my computer in front of me. <laughs> I literally I, don't know what it I is. I totally knew that number, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course I knew it. We've yeah. talked long and hard about not having a phone. <laughs> That's the world we live in now. All right. So, you guys are great. All right. We're out of here. Love you guys. Day. See you.